Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. What's up, everybody? You're listening to another episode of Life in English. I'm your host, Tony Kazin. And I know, let me just get this out the way. I know I've been gone for way too long. It's been like three weeks, maybe almost a month since I recorded the last podcast. Forgive me, all right? Forgive me for my absence. Uh, a lot has happened in these past few weeks, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I got really, really sick for a week, so I was out of commission, you know what I'm saying? I almost got shot and killed by the police. That's somewhat of a joke. Um, started a new photography project as well, which has been taking quite a bit of my time. And I just kind of put the podcast to the back of my mind. You know what I'm saying? I kept saying, oh, I'll do a new episode tomorrow. I'll do it next week. And what do you know? We're at the end of September, man, already. It's crazy how time passed. It's crazy. But anyway, like I said, man, forgive me for my absence. Uh, but I'm back. I'm back with another episode, and today we're talking still about um, American accents, English accents that you'll find, I guess, no, American English accents that you'll find in the United States. We've already talked about the West Coast, we've talked about uh, down South, and today we're talking about the East Coast, which is like New York, uh, Massachusetts, Philadelphia, you know, Maryland, that region of the United States, you know, and to be honest with you, let me just tell you this now, I'm not even sure if we're going to do the fourth region, which is the Midwest, you know, like Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota, Illinois, I'm not even sure if we're going to do that episode, simply because due to the feedback that I've gotten, uh, simply due to the feedback that I've gotten about these episodes, like, people enjoy them, uh, from what I've, from what I've been told, you guys enjoy these episodes about accents and things, it's interesting, but what uh, gets the best feedback and and the best response from you, the listeners, is episodes about life in English. You know what I'm saying? So I think maybe, maybe I might just go back to talking about other interesting subjects and skip 
the last region of the United States altogether. I haven't made that decision yet, but um, yeah, I just wanted to put that on the table up front. But anyway, man, I got uh, five more people. We're going to do this episode the same way we did every other episode or the other two episodes about accents. Uh, I'm going to play an audio clip, tell you where the person's from. And then uh, if there's anything that I think maybe is difficult to understand, I'll explain it after the audio clip finishes. So real nice and simple today, man. Real nice and simple. So let's get started. Now, the first person, I don't know this man's name. It's just a video that I found on YouTube. Uh, But this man is from Boston, Massachusetts. Try to say that three times fast. Boston, Massachusetts, Boston, Massachusetts, Boston, Massachusetts, Massachusetts. Like what kind of name is that, bro? You know what I'm saying? I want I really want to know who named that state. Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Anyway, this guy is from Boston, Massachusetts, and uh you will definitely, without a doubt, hear a major difference uh between his accent and the accent from people from like Texas or Georgia or people from California, for example. All right. It's a very short clip, so uh let's take a listen. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, I certainly agree with both of my colleagues. Um, and it's not just Cummings Park, it's Car Park, it's Playstead Park, it's throughout the community. I think at this point, too, uh, I'd like to send an official resolve to the DPW to do uh, not only the cleanup at all these parks, but do a uh, preventative maintenance plan on the top lots as well. Um, they're starting with the nice weather, it's starting to get uh, crowded down there. And uh, I checked with the DPW Parks Department, and they'll only re- more or less respond to complaints of um, items that may happen, Uh, maybe missing a piece of equipment or something of that nature. I think in the interest of public safety for the children and the families of our community, uh, we should have them in on a a Saturday maybe and go through every park in the community and uh, just check them all for safety as well as um, start doing the cleanups with the graffiti removal as well as um, I know they're getting the baseball fields ready for the upcoming season, but uh, these tot lots are certainly a priority. I know Barry Park has some issues with the tot lot that has to be addressed that uh, was brought to their attention, but a citywide systematic approach, and, and let's be proactive so that someone doesn't get injured uh, at one of our parks. Very good. All right, so like I said, I'm sure you could hear a clear difference between his accent and some, like my accent, for example, or somebody from the South. Um, Boston is kind of not famous, but they're, I mean, they're, they're definitely known for their very unique accent you know they say car park my colleagues you know out there in boston and this guy was um he was basically he was uh talking to some kind of you know local government about reforming parks cleaning up the parks uh, making them safer for the families because um i guess you know vacation time was about to come around or something like that so people were going to start returning to using returning to using some of these people were going to start using these parks again and he wants to make them clean and safe for the community that's basically what he was talking about and uh i really don't know why they speak that way i don't really know where any accents come from but it's interesting to think about right like just because you live you know 300 miles in another direction the way you speak sounds different you know what i'm saying you speak everybody speaks the same language but we sound extremely different you know and i just wonder why that is but anyway just to give you a better idea of the Boston accent, I'm sure most of you who listen to this show have at some point seen the show Family Guy. And um, 
if you pay close attention, you'll know that the show is, uh, well, the family from the show, they live in Quahog, uh, New England or Quahog, Rhode Island or Quahog something. I can't remember. Somewhere up there in the north, in the northeast of the United States. And um, basically, I mean, I don't know if Quahog is a real city. I don't know if they just invented that name for the purpose of the show, but the family in the show Family Guy, and particularly uh, the parents, Peter and um, Lois, they have an accent that's like classic Boston, Massachusetts, almost like stereotypical Boston, Massachusetts, you know, like Peter Griffin, he talks like this, and he says car park, you know, Lois. That's like a, a really classic stereotypical Boston accent, and the same thing with Lois. I can't imitate her accent, but you get the idea. All right, so next... On the list, we got Whoopi Goldberg. She's a famous actress from New York City, and she's going to talk a little bit about um, basically, you know, the way she's seen the country change and also her thoughts on the current United States president, Donald Trump. You have led an amazing life, and I want to talk to you about that. But, you know, there I think it's either by law or executive order, you have to talk about Trump first. Oh, so you know. I have to ask you yeah. about him because you've known him for a long time. You, you were you were in the little rascals with him. He was uh, Waldo's father and mm-hmm. you were Buckwheat's mother. This yeah. was back in the 90s. You're yeah. both New Yorkers. Uh, tell me about that. Did you say back then, there goes the next president of the United States? No, you know, look, I've had issues, not personal issues with him, but, you know, I don't. What was I, your personal relationship? Cordial. Mm-hmm. You know, because, you know, you don't want to just walk up to somebody and scream in their face. But, you know, I, I saw what he did to the Central Park Five, you know, and it, and it bothered me deeply. The five and young men who were five young wrongly men who accused. wrongly accused of, of beating. They got an ad and called for the death and penalty. And called for the death penalty. And, you know, then the, the nonsense about, you know, uh, whether Barack Obama was an American citizen. Yeah. Yeah. This, this, you, had a, you actually had a pretty mm-hmm. sharp confrontation with him about yeah. this on The View yeah. in 2011. Yeah. I think that's the biggest pile of dog mess it's I've heard in ages. Any white president asked to be shown the birth certificate. When you become a president of the United States of America, you know that he's American. Why did that offend you so much? Because... I know he went to school, and I know he knows that Hawaii was part of the United States. And I know that the real bottom line of that conversation was, how can he be our president? And it's like, listen, man, he won. He says, uh, I'm the least racist person you know. In Uh, his mind, he probably is. uh What about in your mind? In my mind, I think it's an inherent belief that there are inferior people to him. And it would not surprise me because, you know, you listen to some of the things that they talk about his dad and what his dad did and how he himself has sort of treated people of color. And so he can say he's the least racist person, but then, you know, you might want to start working on that part. (laughs) You know, you keep you keep saying you're not racist and then you do racist stuff and then you hear racist things and you don't say, hey, that's not how we talk here. So for me, he has a lot of issues, but I I always said he had issues. You wrote this book called Is It Just Me or Is It Nuts Out There? Mm -hmm. 
in 2011. Mm -hmm. Seems like that question has been asked and answered now. But yeah. you were uh, prescient. You said, now I've always known that there were bullies in the world. We've seen a lot of it in politics lately as well as in daily life. You see it where people who may be stronger or bigger or better with verbiage than other folks show off. To me, that's what bullying is, showing off. It's saying, I'm better than you. I can take you down, not just uh, physically, but emotionally. Yeah. Does that describe To Donald me, Trump? yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, when you know that there are all these kids whose lives are in the balance because they just need to know, what am I doing? The DACA kids. The DACA kids. And you know that this is scary for them and scary for little kids who, who sort of have heard about it. And, am I going to come home and find mommy or daddy gone? You know, when you know that this, is, this pressure is what you're putting on children, this, uh, this anxiousness... And you don't take a minute to say, "Listen, I'm going. Let's do a state of the state of the conversation for the children, since I'm the reason you're anxious." But you haven't done that, you know, because it, it wasn't about, I think, becoming the president. It was about winning. He wanted to win, and he won however he could. I I am not as concerned about him as I am concerned about the people we're about to lose, you know, the moderates on the other end, on yeah, the Republican side. Yeah, this. you know, um, because I believe that moderates can help get stuff done. Well, listen, our politics doesn't really allow for it now because the parties are so polarized and the rewards are in a, the wrong place. So you, the big worry that politicians have is that someone on their left or right will be will come after them. The idea that you cannot have a, a moderate Republican and a moderate Democrat, is, it, it's unconscionable to me because I grew up with moderate symbols. That's why you could always have conversations with people because the greatest thing is that no one's ever 100% happy. But we make it work and we make, we make it better. When I heard... Mitch McConnell say, when uh, Obama was elected, I'm not going to do anything, anything, to help this president. To me, that was a big F.U. to the United States because he wasn't the president of black people. He wasn't the president of the liberals. He was the president of everybody. All right, so that was Whoopi Goldberg again from uh, New York City. And as you can see, she's very uh, opinionated when it comes to politics and, you know, United States history and things like that. Because, you know, due to her age, I'm not saying that she's old, but what I'm saying is I'm sure due to her age, she's seen the country change in, in many ways over the decades. And <clears throat> she clearly doesn't agree with a lot of the things that are being said or being done by the current U.S. president. And I don't think this is the correct place for me to express my political views. I really don't have that many. So, um, yeah, I'll let you, you know, understand or interpret her words however you want. My goal was just to, to let you hear the accent. You know, again, she's from New York City. And the next person that we have on the list is Meek Mill. He's a rapper from uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And he's going to talk a little bit about things like uh, violence 
in 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 poor neighborhoods. He's going to talk about um, the U.S. prison system and racism and things of that nature. Just things that he experienced growing up as a kid, and you know things that he's actively trying to improve and, and change in his community, but also across the country. All right, let's check it out. What's the title of the album? Championships. Why? I feel like I'm at a championship stage in my life where, like, I call it, like, beating poverty, beating racism, beating the system, beating gun violence, beating the streets. Once I made it through all that, I feel like I'm at that stage in my life. It's just, like, a winning stage in my life. I represent, like, a certain sound, like, the energy, mm-hmm. the loud hype, but this time around, I'm like... I got to stretch it out. And I just wanted to step because I knew people dance to all different type of music. You know, you might be in the gym today. You might be going through something tomorrow. You actually might got a big test coming up. You might need some motivation. You might need to be inspired. So, you know, different people in the world, and there's millions and billions of people in the world where a lot of people go through different things. And I just wanted to, like, put something right here for these type people, put something for these people that's going through these things and just get a different feel. I don't think an album should just sound like one thing. The album features um, Kodak Black, yeah, Fab, yeah, and Well, which is you know, if you know what that is, if you know, you know, and yeah. if you don't know, you' about to find out. Yeah, Cardi B's on the album. Yeah, this record where you just play me sample Phil Collins. Yeah, what you know about that? My era, paying forward with it. You know what I mean? Ah. Paying forward first, come on. You know, we was in the streets and we was like idolizing that type of shit at the time growing up and. When it first came on, that scene and the feel of it was so dope. Just seeing, like, some young black dudes from our culture looking like money, living like money, looking good and feeling good. That was the first time I ever really heard that song. And then as as, as years and years went on, one day I just was in the crib and, and I let it play through the speakers and shit. I was getting dressed. I did that shit for seven days straight. I had a good day all seven <laughs> days for real. It gave me a different feeling. There's a lot of fun on the reggae. You turn up on the reggae, you know, hollering at pretty women on the reggae, all that happens, but... On this record specifically, you tell a story. Yeah, uh, I'm just talking about the process. Like a lot of people, uh, a lot of people been seeing a lot of moves I've been making and things I've been doing since I've been home. Like I represent reforming the criminal justice system, but I'm not an activist, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't want to be an activist, that's not my goal. I just, God put this on my lap where my situation bring attention to it. And I want to address it and I want to do some real things, take action, do some real things that make change. But through my music, I'm really talking about the breakdown and the layers of, like, what it really takes. Like, I'm talking, like, trauma. I'm talking PTSD. I'm talking the system. I'm talking racism. I'm talking living in violent neighborhoods and growing up with anger. Why some of the people uh, from my culture are, like, violent and why we act the way we act. I just break down the layers of that make us the way we are that even connects us to the system and the way they had the system set up is like set up especially for people like that in America. Everybody always talk about like rehabilitation with the system, probation, jail, the rehabilitation system, but none of that really rehabilitates you. Oh, nah, when you whiting from the suburbs, you know, they and, and you do something crazy like kill a bunch of people. Yeah. They immediately try to make it look like something was mentally wrong with you, which is true. Yeah. But if you're black, and you from the hood, and you shoot somebody. Yeah. Or you have a wild criminal record. You a thug. You a savage. Write you off. They don't think about all of the trauma of growing up in the circumstances that you grew up that made you this animal that they trying to character you, characterize you as. Yeah. When it's mass killings and 
there's like a big conversation about gun control. And I'd be looking at the news like, y'all talking about gun control now? And 11 people get killed in my neighborhood every 11 days. Mm -hmm. That's not even, this has been going on for like 20 years. and Longer. Yeah, that's still loss of life, you know what I'm saying? And it should be treated the same way. So, you know, I just look at that stuff and be kind of rebellious towards I feel sympathy for all loss of life and family members that lose people to gun violence. But when I look at TV and I see it, it's just like, damn, we can't. That's not even like an option, you know what I'm saying? As far as if you was in the military, you could go to court, you smacked your girlfriend up or did something crazy, you go to court. Oh, yeah, and I have PTSD, I've been through trauma. and They're going to get you treatment and try to figure out a different solution for you other than just throwing you in a cage. So now we, you got somebody that actually really been through it. It's even like watching Kanye. I was looking at Kanye with that Trump interview, and I was looking at it like, what is you talking Why are you even speaking on this shit? Don't even speak on this shit you're speaking about when you're talking about prison and prison reform wouldn't need to be changed because you ain't go through that. You don't understand that. And mm. you got like real people. I just came from that other side of the wall. Real people that's like living in that shit and really like their whole life hanging on the line for people to like say something for them. It don't have to be the Donald Trump. Just anybody speaking up for them is, is like a real big deal because it's thousands and millions of lives on the line. And it's like, don't even speak on that type of shit because this like another form of slavery, some that we going through today. This ain't no ancestor shit. This is right now. So just leave that alone because that's like a, a touchy situation. And I feel like I'm one of the people that could really speak on that type of really uh, lay it out. All right. So that was Meek Mill. M-E-E-K-M-I-L-L. -L, Meek Mill. And if you want to learn more about him or hear him talk more about, you know, his experience growing up in violent neighborhoods or his opinions on, you know, reforming the, the political, I mean, the political, reforming the U.S. justice system, you know, uh, gun control. I mean, just his story in general, his story in general. You can search him on Google, YouTube, you know, Spotify, listen to his music, check him out. Uh, I think you'll find it interesting. All right. And basically, just in case you didn't get the main idea, like I said before, what he's talking about is... His experiences, you know, growing up in a violent and poor neighborhood and, and surviving that type of environment and what it does to you mentally, like psychologically. And also his recent experience um, just returning home from from jail and how it didn't really change his perspective. But I guess it motivated him to start using his music to spread this message that we really need to change the U.S. justice system because, you know, it's not necessarily just it's not necessarily fair, you know. It's it's almost like it's almost like it's a a game that certain people are destined to lose, you know. According to what he's saying, you know, and I tend to agree with what he's saying. But again, the point of this podcast was just to get you exposed to a different type of accent, you know, from a different region. Again, he's from uh, the north side of Phil, yeah, the north side of Philadelphia in the state of Pennsylvania which is very close to New York, all right? Now, the next person we got on the list is a rapper by the name of Wale, W-A-L-E, and he comes from Washington, D.C., okay, which is, I mean, it's its own state technically, but it's in the state of Maryland, right above the state of Virginia, all right? So hopefully you'll be able to hear um, some of the small differences in between Wale's accent and maybe Whoopi Goldberg's accent or the the first man from Boston, you know, and Wale is going to talk about, 
uh, the rap industry, the music industry in general, but particularly hip hop, you know, rap music, and also what he noticed as far as the differences between the rap community and the comedy community, which I found it was a really interesting observation that he made. So uh, let's hear what he has to say. I've been watching a lot of documentaries recently and stuff, and like a lot about a lot on like different comedians and stuff. Um, even like the um, uh, the Gary Shandling, uh, the, the the Zen Diaries of Gary Shandling, and what I've noticed is in the comedy world, there's so much unity. Mm. You know what I'm saying? When Rodney Dangerfield passed, it was like all these, you know, legendary comics over there. And uh, when he was on his, when he was in a coma, they were bringing uh, his wife. His wife said that she heard some of the best material from some of the best comedians on the planet that were trying to wake him up with their voice or with inside jokes and this, that, and this, that, and the third. And I was just so like, I was just enamored with that because I'm like, there, there's, there's a unity in that world mm-hmm. that doesn't exist in our world, the hip hop culture. It don't really exist. And maybe because it's hyper competitive, but you know, uh, 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 a lot, of, a lot of the, uh, you know, comedians are hyper competitive, but there's a unity there that I don't really see much of. Even how about this? Look at look at like Mace's album and like a lot of them '90s album. You would hear like uh, uh, Rough Riders, some some Bad Boy, some some. You would hear rappers shout out other labels or other artists at the end of their song for no reason. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I think it's, it's, it it might seem like a small thing, but I think it is very telling of the place that we are as a culture and what we've become. A little bit. I think, well, you know what the weird thing is, is that no kid has to choose hip-hop now. It's kind of like the default choice of music to be into, especially if you're growing up in any sort of, like, the hood or whatever. It's just like, that's what you grew up on. So it's like, kids never really get the idea that this is like a community that needs support, that kind of thing. You very rarely hear people be like, support the scene, go to this local rap show, because it's sort of taken for granted that this is the biggest music. Oh, absolutely. I think hip-hop is definitely taken for granted by the consumer and by the artist in a lot of ways. It's been around too long, and it's too dominant, and now it's so big. But has it, it, though? Has it, like, compared to what, country and folk and rock and roll? We we relatively new, for Mm. real. So... I don't think it knows how to mature, and I don't know what I don't know how I don't know if it knows how to age gracefully yet. Mm. And it's gonna happen, right? And it's gonna happen by people like Jay Z continuing to put out top tier lyricism. Um, people like um, you know, even Will Smith getting the boot from time to time. You know what I'm saying? Like, and you, these are these are like our our hip hop forefathers in a lot of, a lot of ways. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's it's got to learn how to. It's gonna have to learn how to evolve and to to age gracefully, and and that that comes with creating subgenres within it. Um, like guys like like Uzi creating a subgenre. It's trap. It's like rock and roll. It's 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 soulful in a way. You know what I'm saying? And then you got Jay talking about buying property and fly, and he got he's the he's the best temp. He's the best. You know, a uh, uh, person to look at for like, man, that's what I want for myself. A successful woman with my side, beautiful kids, making money and just happy with my friends. You Nobody's know, Nobody's ever transitioned into old man rap like he did. Uh, because, it's uh, again, our, our genre is like 40-something years old. That's, that's very, very young, bro. So it's like there's going to be a lot more. You know, if you don't think, if you don't think Drake is going to, you know, be 50 years old and they still being able to sing and rap and make great songs... You tripping? I know it's gonna happen, but you know our genre is very, very young. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, 
Jay-Z is, you know, one of the first people to do that. But I'm sure, you know, rock and roll, you know, got, you know, people that age gracefully. They had to start at some point. Right. All right. Again, that was Wale from uh, Washington, D.C. And the fuck? I don't know if you guys can hear that throughout this recording, but um, the place I'm staying at now, Ipiranga, Sao Paulo, it's a really, I mean, it's a nice neighborhood. It's nice and mellow. You know, there's there's virtually no traffic. You know, you don't see too many people. It's very nice and quiet, except when the birds start chirping um, and shit like that. My washing machine is also running at the moment. So if you're hearing a lot of background noise, my apologies. But anyway, uh, Wale was basically talking about the unity, the unity that uh, he sees in the comedy world that you really don't see today in the hip hop community because everybody's so competitive and it's fuck those guys. I'm the best and I'm the coolest and, you know, all the all the attention should be mine. But he's saying even though, you know, comedians are also very competitive, everybody wants to be the best and, you know, have that have that reputation for making great work when something happens in the comedy world it's like all the comedians still come together and i can give you a perfect example wale gave you an example of some comedian of a comedian that you know got really sick i think he got into a coma and then a bunch of comedians went and visited him in the hospital you know telling jokes trying to wake him up but another perfect example of that is a legendary comedian that goes or that went by the name of uh, patrice o'neill and uh, he died, I think it was because of his diabetes. I'm not 100% sure. But he died and, you know, his closest comedic friends, you know, and, and a bunch of other comedians in the community, every year they host a comedy show, I think in New York City. I can't remember where exactly it is. But they host a comedy show every single year since he's died. And all the money from that show goes to his family because as a comedian, uh, a rich and you know famous comedian he was supporting a lot of people his family his wife i think he had kids but his family in general and you know once he dies all that money stops coming in so you know his friends his comedic friends what they did was they started doing shows to help continue supporting his family and it's funny because a lot of times when somebody famous dies you know you have one event one event and all that money goes to the family and then it's like okay have a good life. But what they did was they understood that, you know, we need enough money for the rest of our lifetime, not just this one year that you that you raise money for. So they have an event every single year. This man has been dead for years now. But every single year they do a, a comedy show and all the money continues to go to supporting his family, you know. And I agree 100%. That's not something you would ever see in the hip-hop community, at least today. I don't know about in the past, but today you would never see something like that and like you said it's a really beautiful thing man it really is you know and um i guess i'm talking a lot about this because i'm a i'm a real hip-hop fan you know uh ever since i was a kid that's been the main genre of music that i've listened to and i agree 100 percent with wale it's, it's like you at least today i mean the game has changed a lot but at least today you really don't see a community you don't see a respect amongst artists you don't even see an appreciation from the fans the people that listen to hip-hop music like the interviewer was saying in the audio clip a lot of people today they kind of take hip-hop for granted 
you know they 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 don't appreciate it because it's just it has always been there you know it's like the default so people don't really understand you know the value of the music or where it comes from or how it's evolved and the fact that it started as a community-based art form or a community-based genre of the art form you know what I mean but I, th- I think we've really kind of lost that that aspect of hip hop and it would be it would be dope it would be cool to see uh the community return to that you know people start supporting local rap artists and going out to more shows and things like that and just you know just uh how can i say bonding through the music you know not trying to have so much competition even though that's necessary and it's healthy competition i really think it would be cool to see more unity in uh, the hip-hop world, the world in general, right, you know, but anyway, anyway, man, like I said, the point of this podcast is just to get you exposed to some different accents, so I'm gonna get off it for now, the last person we got on the list is Jay-Z, you know, even if you don't like hip-hop music, I'm sure you've heard the name Jay-Z before at some point in your life, and Jay-Z is gonna talk about uh, family, you know, uh, one of the most uh, successful, rich, and famous hip-hop artist of all time finally has kids with another one of the most successful, rich, and famous musicians of all time, Beyonce. So you can imagine that trying to have kids in a situation like that can be, you know, challenging. I mean, having kids in any situation is challenging, I imagine. I don't have kids, but I just imagine. But I'm sure when you're extremely rich and famous, with the entire world looking at you and with more money than you can spend in one lifetime, uh, you know, I think, or I imagine, the lessons that you that you teach your kids and the, the experiences that you expose them to, you know, the way that you raise your kids uh, is can be a lot different. You know, I'm sure you just, you, you have to make different decisions because, you know, it's just a different environment for kids to grow up in, you know, as opposed to growing up with humble beginnings, you know, your family doesn't have a lot of money, or maybe you grew up in a violent neighborhood, or maybe you grew up just with different circumstances, is what I'm saying, like the circumstances that their children are going to grow up in are much different than the average kids, right, and Jay-Z is going to talk a little bit about that, you know, his philosophy on raising kids, all right, so let's check it out. When you are as amazingly successful as you are, your kids will live in a very different world from the Mm -hmm. world you grew up in. How do you go about making sure that they understand the world you grew up in? There's a a delicate balance to that, right? Because you have to educate your children on the world as it exists today and how it got to that space. But my child doesn't need the same tools that I needed growing up. Mm-hmm. I needed certain tools to survive my area that my child doesn't need. They're growing up in a different environment. Mm-hmm. But also they have to know their history and have a sense of, of what it took to get to this place and have compassion for others. Right. Every most important thing, I think, out of all this is to teach compassion and to identify with everyone's struggle and mm-hmm. to know these people made these sacrifices for us to to be where we are and to push that forward 
for us. I believe that's the most important thing to show them because they don't have to know things that I knew growing up, like being tough. Like, Do you worry at all that as much as you will teach them history and as much as you yourself is seen as an important figure among black people in America, that there's something they'll be missing? Or do you think that's silly, in fact, that they have so many advantages that that's like too yeah, negative a way of approaching exactly. it? Exactly. Like, it's, they'll be who they are, mm-hmm. right? And it's just certain tools that you would hope for your child to have. Mm-hmm. You know, like, again, fairness and compassion and, like, empathy and a loving heart. And those things translate in any environment. Those are the main base things that you want. Well, for me, I would want my child to have, Mm -hmm. you know, to treat people as they are, no Mm -hmm. matter who they are, Mm -hmm. no matter where they sit in the world. Not to, like, be super nice to someone who has a high position or mean to someone who they deem to be below them. I can't buy you love. I can't show it to you. Mm -hmm. I can show you affection and I can... You know, I can express love, but I can't put it in your hand. Right. I can't put compassion in your hand. I can't show you that. Right. So the most beautiful things are things that are invisible. That's where the important things yeah. lie. For me, as a black man of a certain age, when I was a kid, O.J. Simpson was God. I'm yeah. 61, so I was a little kid when he was... Do you expect black people and white people and young people and old people to hear different things in your music? I'm sure I heard some things in that song that you may not even have thought of because I'm a different generation. What do you want a young white kid to hear in that song that maybe a young black kid would not hear? That's a great question. I, um, I think when you make music, you want people to hear it and hear different things, and then you want it to start a dialogue. Mm-hmm. Because that's how we get to understanding. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, you felt that way about it. This is actually what I meant because this happened and these things happened and led to me saying this specific thing. How did you react when, when, when the, in the, that one line in that song where you referred to, to Jews and wealth, some people got upset? Yeah. How did you feel about that? I felt it was really hypocritical. Only because, I mean, it's obvious the song is like, you want to be rich, do what people who got rich done. Of course, it's a general statement, right? It's it's obviously a general statement. Like, the video attached to it was a general statement. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't have a problem with the general statement I made about black people and people eating watermelon and things like that, if that was fine and that line about wealth bothered you, then that's very hypocritical Mm -hmm. and, you know... That's something within yourself. Because right. basically I was saying, you know, Michael Jordan, LeBron James is a great basketball player. He trains in the offseason. If you want to be great, train in the offseason like him. That's basically the statement. Right. You can't miss the context of the song. Right. You have to be like uh, five years old or something. Some people think that the election of Donald Trump has revived the debate of race in America. Yeah. Some people think that, in fact... There's always been racism in America, it's yeah. that it hasn't changed and that the debate isn't any different, it's just people are paying attention to it. Yeah, there what was a think? great Kanye West line in one of the songs, he said, uh, racism's still alive, they just be concealing it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Take a step back. I think when Donald Sterling got kicked out of the NBA, I thought it was a misstep. Hmm. Because when you kick someone out, of course he, he's done wrong, right? Um... But you also 
send everyone else back in hiding. Hmm. People talk like that. Mm-hmm. They talk like that. Let's deal with that. And I wouldn't just like leave him alone. I don't have that solution. There should have been some sort of penalties. He could have lost some draft picks. But getting rid of him just made everyone else go back into hiding. Mm-hmm. And now we can't have the, the dialogue. Mm-hmm. The great thing about Donald Trump being president is now we're forced to have the dialogue. And now we're having the conversation on a large scale. Mm-hmm. He's like provided the platform for us to have the conversation. And you think that's better? That we should be having a conversation. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's why this is happening. Do you think the debate over race in America is happening in a healthy way? Well, an ideal way is to have a president that says, I'm open to the dialogue and fixing this. Mm-hmm. That's ideal, mm-hmm. but it's still happening in a good way because you can't have a solution until you start dealing with the problem. What you reveal, you heal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. If if I have like a tumor and I don't I ignore it, doesn't mean it goes away. Mm-hmm. I have to diagnose it first, right. no matter how it happens. If I get hit with a football and like, oh, I feel something there. And then I go to the doctor. It still happened. Right. You know what I'm saying? So we, however it happens, and we just get hit with a lot of football right. Right. to use analogy that right. goes next to the NFL. Yeah. All right, so that was Jay-Z. He's also from New York City. I don't think I mentioned that before I played the clip. But, um, yeah, he was talking about, you know, the the way that he plans to raise his kids, you know, being a very rich and successful person and, you know, ha- uh, not having to, but he's going to raise his kids in a completely different environment from the one that he grew up in, which was more like um, an impoverished environment, you know, and in a in a, a rougher neighborhood and and um he didn't grow up with a lot of money I, I think he just he became rich and successful later on in life you know so he had experiences that his kids most likely will never have to have you see what I'm saying and he just kind of talked about his philosophy on raising kids but then uh the conversation turned a little more political and the interviewer started asking him about his his ideas on or his opinions on uh, Donald Trump and, you know, uh, racism in America and things like that. And also what he thinks is necessary in order to improve what we call race relations or to improve, you know, the conversation about race or just the way people of different, you know, ethnicities are treated and, uh, and valued in the United States. And basically what I understood was that he... And I believe that conversation, you know, like open, honest and respectful dialogue is really the the main way that you that you create understanding between people. And if you don't have understanding between people, then you obviously can't create change between or among people. You know what I'm saying? Like if people can't even talk to each other and understand where each other is coming from, you know, it's impossible to to change the situation, you know, and to me, that seems obvious, but I think to a lot of people, it's, it's like news, you know what I'm saying, they don't really, they don't understand that simple fact, but anyway, that's basically what uh, Jay-Z had to say in that last clip, all right, but that's it, man, that's, uh, those are the five people, we had the, the man from Boston, whose name I do not know, uh, we had Whoopi Goldberg from New York City, Meek Mill from Philadelphia, uh, Wale from Washington, D.C., and also Jay-Z from New York City. All right, so 
Uh, I hope you enjoyed it, man. I hope you enjoyed it. And I'm sure you could see a difference between, you know, this episode and the people that we listen to today and the last episode and the people that we listen to from the South. I mean, it's a clear difference. But honestly, man, I would say in general, at least in my personal experience, in general, uh, most people around the United States, you can understand relatively the same way, you know, or with the same amount of difficulty. I should say it that way. I don't know. I don't know. I guess people from the West Coast are the easiest to understand. Like many people, we say many people say that we have the clearest accent. I don't know if that's true, um, but I I would say if your plan is to come to the United States anytime soon or you plan to be talking to Americans don't worry too much about accents I think it's important to expose yourself to different accents you know and learn about them and and talk to people from different regions but there are really too many different accents in the United States so if you can if you can you know understand the major three or four that we have which is west south north and midwest I think you'll be okay I think you'll be okay and also know that you'll never you know or maybe you will, but I doubt that you'll ever be 100% perfect in understanding everyone and everything that is said to you in a foreign language. Even in your own language, sometimes you might talk to somebody from a different region or even from a different country, and you can't understand everything they say. Like There are many times I have no idea what somebody from Ireland or Scotland or Australia is saying. I, you know, I get the idea, but... There's a lot of things that they say I have I just can't understand due to their accent and also due to their dialect. You know, so when you're talking about a foreign language, I think it's the same thing. Like me, for example, I'm here in Brazil. I've been learning Portuguese for four years now. And there are many times when I'm in the street, I I have no fucking idea what people are talking about. You know, I mean, obviously, the majority of the time I'm fine. I can communicate and understand. But like I said, there are many times I don't know what the fuck is being said to me. You know what I'm saying? Because people talk fast. They speak really informally. And a lot of people think I'm Brazilian. So they don't they don't change the way they speak. You know, because when you talk to a foreigner, I think naturally a lot of us, we change the way we speak to make sure that they can understand. Like the way I'm speaking right now, I'm making sure that I speak quite clearly, that I enunciate my words and things like that. So you can at least follow along with what I'm saying, even if you don't understand every word, you know, but when you're speaking to natives, I mean, or people from your city, or even just from your country, you speak much more naturally, right? I think it's normal. So uh, with all that being said, what I'm trying to say is, you know, don't don't worry too much about understanding everything and everybody all the time. It's just, it's very difficult, man. Just try your best to Learn as much as you can about the language. Expose yourself to new accents and dialects. And keep practicing, man, every single day. That's uh, my recommendation to you, my friend. But that's it for now, man. Like I said, I hope you enjoyed the episode. And I'm not 100% sure if I'm going to do an episode about accents from the Midwest. I have to think about it. Because, uh, like I said, the feedback that I've gotten tells me that maybe it's better to just go back to talking about you know different subjects and honestly that's what i want to do so uh we'll see all right we'll see but that's it for now my friend this has been another episode of life in english i'm your host tony kaizen and i'll talk to you later peace 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.